This is Chaz Woodson, and you're listening to the Going Offsides Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 30. Before we uh, introduce our guest and dive into all that, some big news happened two days ago. Merger. Merger. We're talking merger. I don't know if uh, anybody's heard. I don't know if anybody in the lacrosse world has heard. Um, you know, the, the PLL and the MLL, uh, they are as one. Um, huge news. Um, I mean, you know, obviously we'll get into it a little bit and kind of talk about our feelings, but you know, just to kind of start it off, Nick, what's your, uh, what's your initial reaction to this? I saw this coming in a few years. Mm-hmm. I'm so in agreement like, with that. Like my background, obviously, as you know, outside of lacrosse stuff is, is sports management. And this is not a surprise to me by any means. I think there's a lot of questions that we'll never get the answers to, especially with the specifics of the financials. I don't see the PLL having had enough money laying around or the investors being willing to infuse enough cash to, to do an outright cash deal for whatever they took from the MLL. Really, it's just some logos and, and IP, I guess. There wasn't, you know, there, there's not yeah. much that they're really taking. It mm-hmm. really was a move to end the other league, but I'm sure that from the MLL side of things, you know, it, it is a business. And so these, these guys that pay for the MLL to exist, they could have kept this going for a couple of years and fought the good fight only to eventually have to just end the league completely when, when things didn't go their way by doing it right now, they got as much as they could, as much as they probably were ever going to get. And I assume from the business side of things with the lack of cash out there, that they now have a small percent of the PLL. And you know what? In the long run, I think that's a much better move for them. They, they, they sold when they could. And um, yeah, that's, that's how I feel from a business side. I'm a little sad from the player's perspective, from the staff perspective. I know John Grant Jr. had a great post about this on Twitter. You know, a lot of people lost their jobs today. Mm-hmm. And then it's not just players because, yeah, some of the players – who were fringe guys are probably like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to pursue this anymore. I'm just going to go play men's league or, and, and have fun in yeah. the club circuit. There are definitely a ton of guys that are going to make a real run at this. The, the big names that we'll bring up later, but every front office is essentially unemployed because exactly. there is no front office at the PLL level for each team. It's, it's mm-hmm. all, which is part of what makes it work, right? It's one set of people doing the work of all the teams. The MLL, every office has 10 to 20 people working in it when you go on those websites, which no longer exist. And all those people have no job and and very few of them will probably be able to make it over to the PLL. And so that, that's tough. And we go from 13 pro teams down to eight. And just when I was getting back into the MLL, which, which stinks. Ryan. Well, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. We were talking about it not too long ago about how the MLL, like just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. Um, I was really excited about, you know, kind of where the league was going. I thought all things considered, yeah, there was a major hiccup at the end with, with, you know, kind of the way everything finished off. But, you know, I thought this was a great summer for them. I thought they did a really good job and got more exposure in a short window than they kind of did in the last few years, which, you know, I mean, we could talk about it all day, man. You know, it, it stinks that people are out of jobs, you know, and, you, and you're seeing this is another casualty of, 
you know, it's not COVID related, but, you know, basically what you're seeing in a lot of, you know, you're talking about minor league baseball and leagues that depend on the gate. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I have some former players that are in ticket sales and some might for some minor league baseball teams and, and, and they lost their jobs. They have friends that lost their jobs. So, you know, your heart goes out to the people that, you know, were impacted in that way. I mean, you know, obviously it stinks. You're going from 13 to eight teams. I think at the end of the day, it's going to make the product in the PLL, um, that much better. I think there's going to be legitimate competition for every single spot across the league. And like guys that might've been able to maybe skate by and just because they're part of the good old boys club and they're boys with somebody, they get their, they get their roster spot. I don't think that's happening anymore. We and hope. You we, know, hope. We, we hope, we hope, we don't know. And I'll get into that in a second, but like at the same time, you know, you also probably have the deepest, um, draft class coming out of college lacrosse and God knows how long. So um, there are going to be some guys that, you know, whether they wanted to or not, you might've seen them play professional lacrosse for the last time. So, um, you know, it stinks. My hope, because, uh, you know, getting a little nostalgic, I was there when they did the summer showcase series in like 2000, 2001, was there for the first season with the Lizards, saw them win the championship, the whole thing, everything like that. That's awesome. I just hope the PLL um, isn't, you know, kind of like vindictive with everything and that they, they take on the history of the, the MLL because, you know, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're standing on the shoulders of giants. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, John Grant Jr., uh, Casey Powell, Ryan Powell, Mike Powell, you know, you're talking about Connor Gill, Nikki Polanco, Mark Trevor Millen. Tierney, Mark Millen, all of these guys that were absolute Paul studs Rabel. of the game. Paul, yeah, Paul Rabel, right. His yeah. best years were in yeah. the MLL. There's no doubt about yeah, that. Yeah, knowing that guy, what he's probably going to do is he's going he's gonna to take the MLL records, have them become the PLL records so that he could stick it out for a little bit longer so he can finish with the all-time points scoring record. I mean, um, Not John Grant Jr., well, he owns the league. He could do whatever he wants, right? Yeah. I mean, listen, points are points. He, he mm. earned those points in the MLL. He, I, I think, I don't think it's a coincidence that the only team that they decided to absorb the first year was the Cannons. I don't think that's yeah. a coincidence. I think it's interesting. I, I have a few questions right off the top of my head. You know, does Sean Quirk stay for the Cannons? Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they are eliminating the roster. Like all those contracts yeah, they, are null and void. They are going to do an expansion draft, which, you know, fair enough. Fair enough. I, I think that's the fair way to do it for the rest of the league. Mm -hmm, keep it absolutely. consistent. I don't have a reason why you wouldn't keep Sean Quirk, especially with an influx of, of MLL guys. Mm -hmm. And if I'm him and I have that opportunity to do a draft, I do go after a lot of the guys I'm comfortable mm -hmm. with and that I know. And, and you know, he, he's a big culture guy, as you and I both absolutely. know. Absolutely. He's, and he uh, just he just got coach of the year and, and won the MLL. So why why not? Why not? You know, you you saw the success the the chaos had with um not the chaos. I'm sorry, the Chrome with uh, Timmy Sudan. Mm -hmm. So I mean, why wouldn't you a guy with proven success like that? Uh, especially if you're going into that like touring method. Like, mm -hmm. well, they are in the touring method, but you know, if they do a bubble, like those guys with the MLL that have MLL pro coaching experience, you know they're ready to go kind of in any format, but mm -hmm. just based on what they had to deal with, with the MLL. So, I mean, I think, you know, if he's up for it, but also what about a guy like Tom Mariano? You know? Well, what I was thinking is uh, there might be a situation in which we see an MLL coach come over mm -hmm. and both of assistants are former MLL head coaches. Yeah. Why not? I there's mean, a lot of great, there's a lot of great coaches out there, man, especially that have had great MLL experience mm -hmm. that, um, you know, could, could absolutely do very, very well. 
uh, in the PLL. It's just, you know, the PLL is going to, you know, they, they kind of control the narrative. They're going to bring in who they want and yep. all things like that. I mean, I'm excited. I think it's yeah. going to be awesome for the game. It is an awesome thing. Um, you know, I think this is really a great thing for Paul Rabel to kind of cement his legacy mm-hmm. um, and kind of how they handle it. And I think it's, it's a great kind of tip of the cap for him. He's done so much with his career. I mean, obviously, he's one of the best players to have ever played the game. Um, he's an incredible businessman. I mean, obviously, you know, people knock him up and down all day for certain things. But, you know, he's he's done it as a player. You know, everything that he said he was going to do as far as, like, the business model, he's come out and done it. And yeah. I, don't see, I don't see that stopping anytime soon. You know, good for him. I hope he does it. Um, you know, I just hope he puts his shirt on when he starts doing his workout videos again. <laughs> You know, I don't think the PLL does any, makes any decision on accident, right? Mm-hmm. Like they they analyze every single thing. So for the people that are, you know, let's say for a lack of a word, uninformed on how sports business works and why there's only eight teams, it, it's from a it's for business. It's it's mm-hmm. as simple as that. You don't think that if Paul could have pulled off a fourteen team league, he would have done it this year. It's all comes down to money. And that's not to say, you know, there's a reason why they said that they retain the rights to all of the old team names and logos. It's because you better believe that there is value to bringing those back because absolutely, if I'm an MLL guy right now, like by default, if I'm not rooting for my favorite players team, I'm rooting for the cannons for now. Mm-hmm. And then when my franchise eventually comes back, my franchise, I guess it's not really yeah. a franchise anymore the way that they do it. But when my team, you know, when the outlaws eventually come back, like why start a new brand when you have people that love the exactly outlaws right. and they're going to root for the outlaws when they come back. Well, so, you know, same that's thing like with the happen. NHL, right? Same thing with the NHL mm-hmm. that people Winnipeg wanted the jets back. Um, there's like Quebec wants the Nordiques back. Like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the whalers, that, that whole thing, like you, you know, even if that, even if that stuff doesn't happen, you still have an opportunity where you can always tap into that for nostalgia purposes. Like yep. you're going to tell me that you could, you would, you might, you know, you might see it if they want to get creative at an all-star game where you have like the Bayhawks versus the lizards, or you just mm-hmm. do whatever. And they use those logos for whatever. I don't know. There's a million yep. different things that you could do. They'll, they'll do a bunch of stuff. I think, I think the, the league will be pretty seamless when it comes to the transition because mm-hmm. 95% of the league played in the MLL. Yep. The only people that didn't are the last two rookie classes. Mm-hmm. So there's no doubt about it. You know, everybody started, you know, I, I loved seeing Instagram flooded with all the PLL guys posting their ML, their favorite MLL memories, like out of yeah. respect. And because you know what? I mean, hopefully it isn't some petty little argument going on in the background, but I, I don't think it will be. I think things are much bigger than that now and, and people just need to get over it. Like, yeah, it happened. It's over moving and, forward. And this now, is going to be great. This is going to be great for yeah. the sport. You mm-hmm. know, we're going to, you know, we won't have to divide our attention between two leagues in the summer. Well, from um, a business perspective, now yeah. all the sponsors are going to one yep. spot. You yep. don't have to, you know, you can't uh, get the better deal with one league than the other. It just, it's just going to be better. And, and you're going to see some of those box guys, like they might stay in Canada for the summer and play WLA and play, you know, play senior A and, and just do it that way. Um, as opposed to coming down and, and, and trying to play, uh, you know, pro outdoor. Well, and to be honest, there's just not enough room for all of them. No, there isn't. There's, there's not. There, there will not be enough room. We took we took a, t- a league with six teams and roughly, you know, let's say 25 guys per team on the roster. So we had 150 guys. And now they're going to turn into one team. 
mm-hmm. plus the draft class. Mentally now, not to, not to say there, there's going to be some guys retiring. Uh, we've already seen a couple of guys from the PLL see this happening, and they're like, listen, the league is taking a giant step forward. I think Lacascio today is like, if I can't give 100% to my teammates and to my training, oh, yeah. like – this is it's not worth it to stay in this and not do 100 exactly because, right because life is getting in the way of that whereas some younger guys will be able to say listen this is my life mm-hmm. and and so kudos to him on a great career and, and he, he gets to ret- retire after winning two championships so exactly right that's perfect way to go out and we get what we want we get lyle in the pll hopefully right like what what if that didn't happen that'd be wild uh, I don't, see. I don't, I have nothing to support that. I'm just saying that would be yeah, a huge yeah, yeah. what if, but yeah. So speaking of guys coming over, so obviously the big name is Lyle, like that's mm-hmm. the one, but you know, you, you got to think right away, like, where does he fit in there? We can do a whole an entire episode of what could happen with all this and let's just not waste our time. Right. Like he's going to yeah. end up probably on the cannons. Let's, yeah, so, let's just enjoy, let's enjoy the moment yeah. and, and dream about what ifs and, uh, yeah. I mean, as that gets closer and more information gets put out, you know, we'll be able to talk more about it. I'm excited. You know, congratulations to the to the PLL. Congratulations to the Rables. I mean, another shrewd move on their part. Like as always, you know, the, and and like they have in the past, they're they're doing what they do, they're doing to to make that league move forward. And I'm excited for the summer. And you know, good for them. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm happy, and it's it's going to be great for lacrosse fans. Listen, if you weren't a fan of this move in the short term, know that. In the long term, it is what is best for the game. You know, it yeah. hurt. It hurts for some people in the short term. It's you know, for some people, they're celebrating immediately, and that's fine too. But in the long term, that you know, if you're one of those people that are like, I don't know how I feel about this. Long term, this is what's best. But you know, like somebody said, imagine how good the men's teams are going to be this summer of guys that were like fringe MLL guys, yeah. fringe PLL guys that are now. They're like, I got nowhere else to play. So Caniac Park is gonna be back on Long <laughs> Island, baby. Shove Park up in upstate New York is gonna be wild. So that leads us this is a perfect transition because we happen to have a guest today who was assistant coach of the Atlas in year one. Mm-hmm. Year two, he got to just enjoy watching the league grow. And he speaks about some of those experiences along with his experience as a D1 head coach at the University of Detroit Mercy, a good friend of mine, head coach. Chris Colon. No, it's great to talk to you. Uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. It's been years since we've actually been in person, but you know, I, I love following Detroit lacrosse at always. You're on um, the other side of the universe for me. I never, I mean, I hardly, you know, it's, I love when the Catholic central, um, mm-hmm. you know, streams a game, right. Cause right. I mean, it takes me two hours to get over there you know? Yeah. I, I try to spend some time over in the Royal Oak area every once in a while. I still, every once in a while, we'll hang out with like Chevins and Davenport still to this yeah, yeah. day. Um, and I mean, he's, Chris is even busier over on the e- further East. So I can't, yeah. I can't make it over there. That's, we consider the, like in Novi, the East side is anything past telegraph. So, right. and, and that's really not even that far, but uh, you know, I think people don't know, but if you're around Detroit program, when you took over, maybe not immediately, but I, I've definitely saw it from afar for years. There's definitely a culture shift, maybe not in terms of like prioritizing winning or anything like that, but you certainly definitely prioritize, you know, mental health, mental conditioning, a, a bunch of other things. And you're probably one of the earlier ones that I saw actively pursue this. Can you talk a little bit about that kind of push 
towards the off the field coaching? Well, you know, I think winning follows, it doesn't lead. Right. So I think a lot of times coaches think winning uh, follows. So yeah, we, I think we've been about winning, uh, but we've been trying to kind of push it from the other direction. You know, um, U of D was going through changes, right? Like we wanted to have more of a well-rounded kid, whether mm-hmm. it was uh, our general students or our, um, or our uh, athletes. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, I think we all kind of had to take a reevaluation where I, I think if you just looked at lacrosse first or lacrosse only, uh, at a small, you know, Jesuit school and six mile, um, you could get into a lot of trouble. So, so, um, you, you know, I wanted to change that. So I wanted to find kids that were interesting. I wanted to find kids that were interested in, you know, one of our recruits just built a boat, right? Like he, he bought a $500 boat and, you know, rebuilt an engine and, you know, did the, the trim tr- tram and did all this stuff. And I just find kids that are more interesting, uh, you know, I find kids that are, are more interesting if they're in the trying to be the best they can be at everything. So I think lacrosse is one piece. Being a great lacrosse player is an, a, a wonderful thing. But kids that are going to push themselves, whether it's engineering class or, um, you know, knitting or, or you know, the kind of more. Uh, and I, I think you'll remember, like, you know, even Chevins and Davenport are both kids that really push themselves at everything to speak of those two. And, and, you know, kind of more of a Tom Seibel, a kid who was always right. trying to tinker at life. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I look at myself and kind of what I do and what our brand is and, and who we are um, as almost like a punk, punk rock kind of thing where we're, we're just always trying to, you know, do it ourselves, uh, do it better, uh, take care of each other, take care of everybody around us and, uh, you know, try to do the best we can all the time. So, um that's where it really where it comes down uh, comes from and comes around and, and really what I what I adopted early on as I was you know as I kind of transitioned from assistant to, to head coach that um, that was what we did and I was lucky enough to have Dr. Don DePaulo who's one of the best organizational guys around um, and his his partner uh, uh, Dr. Ed Freeberg is one of the best sports psychology guys around. I mean, if you've seen Miami of Ohio hockey and what they did over a decade there, you know, I, I think you can kind of see sustained, sustained success that led into championships. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that, you know, we're going to get to, you know, in year six, year seven, uh, where we can maintain, you know, where we can c- continue to win, continue to get better and then be, get, be a championship level for a long time versus flash in the pan type scenarios. Right. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, um, you know, we, we like to do it ourselves. We like to do it all. And, uh, you know, and those are the kind of kids we look for. So. And I think one of the underlying themes is that you're certainly not afraid to be different as a program. And like right. you said, do your own thing. And, uh, you lead by example with that. Did I see that you, you now play in a band? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> that's yeah. Awesome. Uh, I play with a guy, uh, Justin Alexander. He's on, uh, Spotify, uh, some of his older stuff were, were, uh, you know, during this whole time, I'm, it's been a, just a really interesting time to help somebody, you know, he's 31. The guys, uh, you know, the guys talk about punk rock, he's punk rock. He, I mean, this is, this is it for him. He's, uh, he's one of the most talented guys. And I look at him, he's so much like all the athletes, uh, you, you know, so it's kind of I'm like in a weird coaching position uh, for him as we've been trying to create a new album that will probably come out and uh he's very talented he's just as talented very smart 
a lot smarter, a lot more talented than I am, as most of the guys are on the team are. So yeah, it's been a lot of it's been really a, a lot of fun. You know, we're trying to build middle school fantasies sometimes, right? So yeah, I was just rock scrolling through social media and I was like, is Chris in a rock band now? Like that's <laughs> COVID is really switching things up on people. Yeah, I mean, I've always I know you've always been kind of like in, yeah. you've always been into music. You've always been a deadhead. I remember when yeah. we were driving back from uh, Notre Dame after that loss, I must have heard Fire on the Mountain like thirty-seven times. Yeah, that's, that was a joke between me and Coach Zimmerman. <laughs> Every time. I would wake up from a nap it'd still be the same song yeah we, we started playing it uh right before the back tournament just as a on repeat as a joke <laughs> and uh you know we just had to keep it going right so good things happened that weekend so you know <laughs> that's, that's incredible um so back to kind of you know we talked about covid briefly how has that affected i mean it's affected everybody recruiting you know, cut the season shorter, canceled it last year. How has that affected Detroit in particular in terms of like the roster makeup? Did you have guys come back? I mean, Detroit does have great grad school programs. So did you have guys come back? Did you have guys opt to finish, you know, their grad school year somewhere else? Or, you know, what's that look like at Detroit? Uh, you know, our guys are all pretty, uh, they're pretty into built, you know, what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of guys stayed. I think if they were guys that liked school, they stayed mm -hmm. if they were, you know, Jack Harrop, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> he was so happy. I'm so happy he graduated. But I think when that's the last, you know, credit he'll ever take at a college, right? Mm -hmm. He's a great kid, but school was not his thing. Um, so guys that kind of school wasn't their thing, uh, you know, called it quits. Everybody else were so lucky to have the master's programs. And, 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 you know, we had been kind of a little bit slow on recruiting which kind of actually helped us for once, right? We're always a little bit slower than everybody else. So, you know, that led us to, you know, not get into some of the trouble that some of the other guys are with having to tell people no, lowering scholarships. So we just, it kind of worked out. Um, and, you know, a lot of guys stayed, so. Mm -hmm. Were you able to, or did anybody approach you to, tr to transfer in for this year? Um, yeah, we got, uh, you know, I, I'm really happy we got uh, Shepard. Uh, from Albion, yeah. which, you know, yeah. I was, he's a, just a great athlete, right? And a great mm -hmm. kid. And it's one of those kids that, you know, you're watching him, his career at Albion going, man, like I screwed that one up. I should have taken that kid. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, and I like the family a lot. His brother's in a great rock band, anti-ghost there. You know, I've seen his brother play a couple times. Uh, uh, so, you know, it's good. It's good to have him around. Um, it's good to have him around because that was one that, you know, that's one that got away, I thought. Right. So it's nice to have him uh, and hopefully he can contribute a little bit this year. So has that led to any kind of, you know, you've had kind of a makeshift fall, right? Um, <laughs> Not I mean, yeah. no, con you know, no right. contact it's groups of 10. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, it was, you know, we, we, the kids had a great attitude, so, right. but it was tough. Have you seen, you know, with, so you have now fourth year seniors, fifth year seniors, grad students, grad transfer. Is there any kind of weird leadership dynamic going on? Is that people trying to figure out where they are? Because, you know, those fourth year seniors are like, this was supposed to be my year. Like I'm, I'm taking over the program. And now all of a sudden there's not as much room at the top. Well, we're lucky because we're just kind of keeping the captains the same. All okay. the captains came back. And I think some of the guys that are fourth years mm -hmm. uh, are all going to stay for the graduate program, right? So they're still, it's kind of like, instead of doing a season 365 days, we've just done it in 700. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, we're just lucky to be in that kind of situation. Yeah, the, I think that's pretty programs, unique. 
and having smart kids, you know, that want to get that master's, having the five-year MBA and some five-year engineering programs that can give kids in, and uh, our psychology program too, just has been great working with the guys um, to get them the master's degrees that they need. And most of those kids, uh, you know, most of our kids are almost done. Like, you know, they're in their senior year, they're, they're taking like three credits anyway. Mm-hmm. So they can just get ahead on those master's classes and take right. some stuff in the summer. So we've, we've just, we've been very fortunate through all that. So speaking, you know, you were an assistant coach at Detroit and then you became the head coach. Um, as an assistant, I remember that you were, I think one of the things I learned from you is to, to not overcoach certain things and kind of give people the framework to work within and make their own mistakes. When you became a head coach, how did that role kind of transition for you? Because you now had to be a little bit more hands-on, I think, with certain things. Sure. I mean, with the administrative stuff, you got to be, you know, cross your T's, dot your I's. But uh, I've been lucky to have some great assistant coaches uh, and, you know, uh, along the way uh, that I basically try to put them in the position I put my position guys in when I was a position coach. Right. So, you know, you give them a lot, a pretty long leash and when they screw up, you know, you, you, and if I don't like something, you know, it's like, Hey Dan, we need to make a stop here. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, so uh, I've kind of taken the approach that I did with that group as uh, now I just, I kind of, I'm coaching the coaches. Okay. So, uh, you know, we've kind of kept that structure um, and how we do things. Very cool. And then what is your kind of, I don't want to say coaching philosophy because that could be long and drawn out, but if you were to kind of give some overarching principles to your coaching philosophy. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really all about love, right? I mean, we all love winning. We love mm-hmm. the feeling of winning. It feels a lot better than losing. I don't really focus on negative stuff anymore at all. Um, you know, it's entertainment you know, what we do is entertainment. Uh, playing a game is, is a form of entertainment. Um, it's not, you know, while, you know, I think lacrosse has its, its roots and, in, in, you know, something greater, right? But all those things that, you know, that, the, that are at the roots, when it really comes down to it, it's about community. It's about taking care of yourself, taking care of the, your team and taking care of your community. So um, that's what we do. And we just try to do it in a good way uh, and in a, in a positive way. And uh, when we do something great, we know it's great. We love that feeling and we try to get to that feeling and we know that takes work. And I think with today's kids, especially uh, what you have to continually harp on as a coach is you're kind of putting money in the bank. You're not going to get an immediate response. It's not like something you can get, um, you know, when you're playing a video game over, you know, uh, these kids play video games all night. They're all looking for an immediate response you know, got, we're, we've been putting t- work in since the fall, you know, with Nick Wilson, every time they go to work out, that's putting money in the bank for what is going to feel amazing. If you get a Mac championship for that big win against Marist or, or, uh, you know, ca- you know, getting off a bus or dealing with some adversity and overcoming some stuff. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's about love and it's about, it's about all the great stuff that, that, that we get, you know, I don't, these guys that focus on, uh, on the negative stuff, I think that's, you know, we, we all know when we screw up in life, right? Like we all know it. And, and especially I'm lucky enough to recruit kids. So, you know, I, I know kids that my kids all take responsibility for themselves. And um, so, you know, you can just look at them and they know when they screwed up. And so I just try to celebrate them more than 
anything. Yeah. yeah, I think for everybody, it clicks at a different time, right? So some yeah. people get it right away, like I'm working for the bigger picture, and some people, it might not happen until they win. And yep. they're like, oh, that's what all this work was for. And hopefully that's not senior year. But if it is, it is. As long yeah. as it clicks before they leave, right? And we're just so lucky that, you know, culturally it's starting um, where we just have a great group of older guys that teach the younger guys. And, and um, you know, that's something I took from Notre Dame. Uh, and I think they do a great job of it uh, at kind of every level where, you know, the older guys do so much coaching of the younger guys when it comes to just our culture uh, how we handle ourselves on the weekends, how we handle ourselves on the field, how we handle ourselves in class, how we handle ourselves at practice, um, that, you know, that, I mean, from the, you know, from the recruiting visit on, you know, kids are going to know if they want to be there or not. So, um, you know, it, it's nice as a coach to kind of sit back and, and, you know, deal with outlying stuff uh, because you've got, great assistant coaches, great captains, great seniors, great sophomores, great juniors that really can help the freshmen along. So helping the recruiting, you know, uh, a kid comes and visits, which, you know, even if it's on a zoom, uh, they're going to know or not know, uh, or if they have a friend that they've played with at a tournament or they know what kind of kid comes here and, and, and what we like and what we don't like. So, um, you know, and we try to be as honest as we can. I mean, you know, what we, what we got down there, what we don't have, and, you know, you have to not, if you want a fancy locker room or a fancy dorm, you know, go to high point, <laughs> not, you know what I mean? Like they, it's amazing down there. Yeah. It's not what we have, but, um, you, you know, we have a lot that we can offer too. And, um, you know, so you, it just has to be the right fit and, and, um, yeah. So I'm very fortunate that way right now with what's going on down there. Yeah, definitely. So let's pivot a little bit. You, you had an opportunity to do something, uh, which I'm sure was an incredible experience. Uh, you and coach Paul go way back, right? To childhood, yeah. Oh, yeah. all the way up to, so what you, you guys had season football tickets as kids, right? Yeah. You, uh, yeah. I mean, before I think either of us even knew what lacrosse was, I think uh, John and I had been, I can remember John when I was a very small child. So so he, I assume, calls you up and says, Chris, I have this awesome opportunity. We're going to be involved in the PLL and I want you to, I don't know, come along for the ride or however he phrased it. But yeah. what was it like being a part of, you know, year one of the PLL? I mean, how cool, right? Um, I was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful to, for that experience. It was a lot. Uh, kind of the PLL is why we didn't do a, that great of a job with our recruiting process because I, I kind of you know, I was juggling too much. Right. So, it, you know, then COVID happened and it worked out to be okay. Uh, but it was amazing. I mean, what a, what a, what a cool experience. Uh, being a, you know, I'm still kind of, I always, you know, I don't know, <laughs> being just a, a kid from the Detroit area, uh, you know, hanging out with some people that uh, I, I, you know, I never thought I would. Uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, class act, you know, the Rabels did a great job with it. I think the players were treated very well. They treated us great. Um, you know, I, I couldn't really ask for anything more from, from that experience. I'd learned a ton. I mean, you know, it was great, uh, you know, communicating four or five times a week with Tucker Durkin, right? Like mm -hmm. it's captain America, right. When it comes to defense and to, you know, constantly, uh, you know, talk about film and, and, and uh, philosophy and, and, and uh, strategy and individual defense with, with a guy like that and, and a lot of guys like that. 
you know, uh, you know, just, you know, watching the uh, brown shoot mm -hmm. is just, I mean, it's, if you can do that up close, it's one of the, it, it's a joy. Um, so yeah, it was a great experience yeah. week in the week out. I looked forward to, uh, you know, fly, you know, uh, you know, I had to go uh, recruit Detroit style economy uh, mm -hmm. style, you know, Econo driving around, uh, you know, staying at, you know, $60 a night hotels and then getting on a Delta flight and staying in the Marriott with those guys uh, and, and getting their kind of uh, the life that they have. It was a pretty cool thing for me. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, uh, so I try to get as many people to watch it as possible, right? The first season, especially. And yeah. when I remember, I think it was John Crawley, took the clipboard and basically drew up a play in, in one of the huddles. And I, I looked at my wife and I said, what other sport is there where you have players on your team that are also peers during, you know, most of the year, you know, they're assistant coaches at D one universities. And I just like, this is incredible. Like a to, to trust your player to just sure. Yeah. You, you know what you're doing, but B to have that kind of knowledge just on the sidelines and, and just to be around at 24 seven, like you said, like, yeah, you learned as much as you taught probably that first sure. year because of all of the no collective knowledge that was just in one area. So I think that's just, you know, pro lacrosse itself is unique, but that especially that dynamic sure. is unique because so yeah. many of the players are coaches. And we, and we got a little bit of, a little bit of garbage from that, from the, uh, from the internet, like, oh my gosh, like who's coaching this. Right. But I don't think people really understood the fact that, you know, on that offense, you had, you know, seven professional coaches. Right. And, mm -hmm. and really, you know, John did a nice job of, of saying, okay, we're going to be on the same page here and this is what we're going to do. And he constantly was, you know, had having to go over with people as I did too, with, with, with everything I did. All right, guys, as long as we're on the same page, this is what we're going to do, because everybody had an opinion. But I can tell you that those opinions were typically always organized and um, and uh, we're a lot more organized than probably that moment looked from a from a video clip. Um, well, I appreciate it because I saw, you know, I think I saw Tim Hardaway Jr. do the same thing to Beeline. And it's like, can yeah. you think of another like more well-respected basketball coach than that? And he, <laughs> right, right, so why right. is it okay there? And that's a college student. So yeah. And Crowley's super, coach. I mean, Crowley's so smart. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's so smart and, and, you know, we don't have the video replay and we don't have a lot of the, you know, we don't have the eyes in the sky, like mm -hmm. a lot of guys have, um, so I, I think having, you know, and you remember, I would do this even with Detroit back with the defense, like guys, what do you see out there? I can't see, mm -hmm. I can't see half the stuff going on when you guys know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you give that responsibility, but you know, you keep your structure and, and your plan uh, in place, uh, I think you're in good shape. So um, yeah, it was a cool, you know, the whole thing was pretty cool. I mean, playing uh, that chaos game, uh, you know, as the sun went down and it was, you know, the purple and, and, uh, that was one of the coolest things I've ever done in lacrosse, you know, full stadium, that whole thing. That was, uh, you know, win or loss at that point. That was yeah. uh, a very, very special moment in my lacrosse life. For sure. I can't imagine what it was like. It was I was talking incredible. to Latrell Harris about being drafted. Like he went to high school that day and then went to the draft that afternoon. And then he ended up playing against his teacher later that season. And I was like, that's a pretty incredible experience, but year one PLL, any game I'm sure is, I mean, obviously that's a dream for, for any coach. So I'm, I'm glad that you got to be a part of it. And I think the circumstances are certainly unique. Um, I have two questions left for you. One, you know, you've lived in Michigan pretty much your entire life. 
Um, you, you played high school in Michigan, you've coached in Michigan. Uh, I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, Michigan lacrosse has come a very long way. I mean, we've always had the pockets of private schools. We've had some great public schools pop up East Grand Rapids, Rockford, um, you know, the whole Grand Rapids area, Forest Hills. What do you think it's going to take to keep things moving in that positive direction to, to keep things growing because it can't just be more travel teams. We, we've got plenty of those now. It can't just be more camps and clinics. Um, we've got a decent amount of coaches that have played the game in college and then come back. We no longer just have football coaches and PE teachers coaching the game. So what kind of do you see other states do in your experience as a coach and a recruiter? And what can Michigan do to keep going in the right direction? Well, you, you just hope, well, number one, I hope some guys referee a little bit more. I, we need some younger guys in the referees. Um, you know, when I, my day is numbers called, that's probably what I'll go back to. Cause I think I'll either be a middle school coach or a middle school coach and a ref because mm -hmm. uh, you know, those guys take a ton of, ton of, you know, jabbing at them. And most of those guys all, and again, I'm as guilty as anybody at times, but um, those guys really, you know, they're, they're doing it. They're doing it for the camaraderie. They're doing it for the love of the game. They're doing it for the help of the kids. Every Most guys that do it, there's no ill intention in any of them. And for some of the ways that they're treated by coaches and parents and everything, um, you, you know, we, we, we got to be better at that as a community uh, in general. I think I've been in the last year and a half, uh, last season and the season before, I really made an effort on it on my sideline to be a, a, a you know, good example. Cause if I'm going to be positive with my guys all the time, I'm going to be positive with refs. I don't necessarily think it, you, got, you know, when I yell, I think it's because you're trying to yell across the field, not, um, you know, you're not trying to badmouth anybody, but I think we need guys to referee, but we also need to do our part in the community to, to make people want to ref. Um, I also think that guys that, um, you know, it's tough because, you know, because of the job the economy and everything, but we need more guys to come back and coach at the lower levels. Right. So, I mean, we, as you said, I think, we're doing a pretty good job at the high school varsity level with, with guys returning and, and really qualified coaches. Uh, I think we need those, those developmental coaches that come along. I think they're the most important ones that, you know, I, if I, whatever, again, I will be a freshman coach or a middle school coach after this, because I, I just believe it's the most, you know, developmental. Mm -hmm. It's a time when you can develop the most and the love for the game. And then they can put the work in, in high school. So I think we need, some guys to get involved with that a little bit more. Um, you know, we would hope that the cost could come down. That's always, you know, preventative. I don't know. <laughs> don't give I have no answers on that. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think, uh, I think we're chugging along and I, I think as we have more public school success, uh, I think we'll be in better shape. I think when pub the public school administrators and everything start realizing, you know, the benefits and, and, you know, with this COVID thing, I think it's a great time to reset. A lot of the public schools have lost enrollment because, you know, some of the private schools went in person and some of the, uh, you know, public schools didn't. And some parents enrolled their kids in the private school because of it. So I think we have to, you know, have some of those uh, benefits. Uh, and I think lacrosse and, and what it can provide will do that for people. It's a good question. I think we have come a long way and I, I'm pretty happy with the way that we've come. But you know, I, yeah. you don't want, you don't want to get me started on the MHSA. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I was in a, doing internship for a, for a public school district that I won't name. And 
the guy that I work with, he's, he's a su- assistant superintendent. He's also a former like 25 year athletic director. Uh-huh. And he's like, if I had, could tell you the number of times people have offered me a large amount of money to start a competing organization, I, I, I could have done it by now, yeah. but it's just, it's a huge undertaking. And I'm actually, you know, I'm a little bit of a proponent of going back to being unsanctioned because I think it's stifling the growth of lacrosse. I mean, we don't have yes. Rice going out to you know, going out to Maryland and playing anymore. And I understand it's not, it's not equitable. For, not everybody can do that, but at the same time, them going out there playing those teams coming back is better for the teams here than no one going out at all yeah and the nally was a great uh event that was local that brought in coaches that other events could have been built around for public schools uh you know that was a that was a diamond i mean i still when i go to events uh, all the time people i remember that nally that was great like i would love to come back to metro detroit and recruit an event like that and then we could have built you know we could have built other events around that event um you know, and grow, grow, you know, that event could have grown, um, you know, so I think that that mile limit is, is, is tough for our growth. And, um, you know, I don't think, uh, you know, where I, uh, I, I get the intention of everybody making the playoffs. Um, I think in real, realistically, uh, you know, I don't think Ovid Elsie wants to go to East Grand Rapids and lose by 30 as their wow. last, you know, last moment of their um, high school career. And, and, you know, I think, you know, Everybody, everybody has tried to be as classy as they can in those scenarios. It's but tough. It's tough. Scores happen the way they do. You know, your backups go in. You can't. You can't tell your backups not to score. You know, your brother Rice. You put your third stringers, and they're still really, really good. Yeah. Still and they're, score. Dude, and, you know, a kid gets an opportunity to play for the first time. Of course, he's going to want to score mm-hmm. goals, right? So, yeah, I think everybody's been pretty classy about it. And, and the, but I'd like to see some of those games turn into you know some games that. You know, when some of our public schools and other schools have kind of been on the cusp, uh, you know, then they can start going places. Or when someone comes and plays Brother Rice, maybe they want to play Brother Rice and then they'll want to go play Lake Orion, Mm -hmm. you know, on the back end of that trip. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of and I've been on both sides of this because I've started young programs that shouldn't have been in the playoffs, but it's such a low threshold to make it. And it's like, well, a younger me is like, I just want to do it for the experience. But now the older me is like, everyone should use the opt-out rule, yep. opt out of the playoffs if you're not ready, because yep. you're just going to get smashed first or second round. Are you allowed to do that? Yeah, there's an opt-out rule. You can opt okay. out of the tournament. And then my proposal has always been, if I'm an Ovid Elsie, if I'm a Renaissance or a Cast Tech, opt out, go do a Jamboree day with like a bunch of teams like that, and then end your season on a great note where you actually develop, not lose 33 to 2 to brother rice where they they buy you pizza after the game because they just they don't know how else to right. make it up for everyone's it because, is good, exactly right? everybody wants the right thing the parents are cheering for the other team but you still use it's not their fault that game happens so right. i'm a big fan of the opt-out rule you know there's a date in april you can choose where you just like don't include us in the playoffs and then you can go set up other dates like a, an 18th game somewhere else so i think that's a better awesome. That's a better thing. And then the last thing is I'm doing kind of a series of these where I ask a lot of people this question, you know, a lot of kids today have the D one or bust mentality. And so I want, so you're a D one coach. I asked the guy that didn't even play in college, this question, what's, what's kind of your opinion on the D one or bust mentality that a lot of, a lot of kids have, um, where they definitely forfeit a good fit just to have the, you know, to ride a, a bench somewhere else as a D one player. 
you know, it, it's every kid is different. I mean, mm -hmm. I was a D1 bench warmer mm -hmm. and I loved every minute of it. I love the fact that I had to chase so hard mm -hmm. and that I might not get it. And that's kind of how I was wired. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, you know, I loved the training. I loved, uh, I loved pushing. I loved complaining that I wasn't starting. I would like all that stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? I liked everything that, that a bench, you know, a guy that sits on the bench does as a bench warmer. So I understand all that. Um, and I loved it. And, and, um, you know, I, I, I didn't understand that I loved it until maybe two or three years out of college, but I, I loved it. So for me, that was great. You know, if you want, um, you know, again, it has to be what, what, you know, what is the right fit? If, if a, a large college is, is the right fit and, you know, you're really good at lacrosse, but you don't want to work that hard, like go to central Michigan, mm -hmm. you know, those, like those kids have a great time. They, they play, they have a, you know, wonderful experience. And, and, and that's that if you, uh, you know, if, if you want to work really, really hard uh, and like you enjoy the work, uh, you know, come to a place like U, U of D, right? Mm -hmm. Or or any other Division One school, and and you know the game games are like icing. You know, I think that's the mentality you need if you want to be a D one guy. Uh, to just you got to love it all. You got to mm -hmm. love at, like you got to love every. You know, it's not. I think everybody gets gear. Everybody gets this. Everybody gets that. And you know, I I think for other guys too, uh, that can fit in a D three model too. Uh, you know, if you if you're a guy that you know, just wants to be a part of a team. Um, great, you know, great. Now the other side for a D3 thing, there's so many great opportunities to play a ton of lacrosse. Mm -hmm. You know I mean? Whatever school you're going to go to, um, you know, there's teams that have, you know, 20 guys on the team, 25 guys on the team. I mean, you're going to have a great opportunity to play in games and playing in games, which is super fun is, is really what drives you. Then, you know, the D3 thing is great. Um, but I, I just think a D1 mentality a lot of guys think about the games and the, the, the audio clips and the video clips and all those, those, the kind of the clips of what it is. But I think you have to love every, like you have to love all the, like the constant beating and the constant competition and, and you know, the constant dread that like, oh my God, how am I going to walk in to play Ohio state today? Like, how's this going to work? Like, right. how am I going to be ready in four months for this? You know what I mean? So if you love that, I think you should be the one lacrosse player. If you really don't, and you got to look at yourself hard, um, you know, there's a ton of other opportunities. It, um, and I'm not saying that anyone else doesn't work hard or do whatever, but I just think that level of, you know, that level of, uh, of, of, um, what am I trying to say, Nick? <laughs> the level I, know, I think you're trying to be political about it a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's definitely a different level of expectation and commitment. Yeah. Yeah. At the level, of what level. You, level of what you have to expect from yourself every day is brutal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know I mean? It's brutal on everybody. Yeah. I don't care if you're at a fancy program or not a fancy program, what you're expected to do on a daily basis between school uh, weekends and everything is really hard. I and think you said you it best. Love when that. You, Great. Yeah. <laughs> you said it best when you said you just have to ask yourself some really hard questions. Cause I think at the end of the day, some people are allured to D1 because it's D1, but they don't ask any other questions. Like, do right. I get a D1 offer? Yes, that's it. It's my only D1 offer. I'm going to go here. When in reality, they don't think about what it's going to be like, what the what the programs are even like academically. They don't ask any of those tough questions that might point them in a different direction. 
Sure. So I don't think you I don't think you should have D1 blinders on by any means. But again, like you said, if you know what D1 is all about and you know what to expect and that's what you want, 100% go for it. Right. But if you don't ask yourself those tough questions, because a lot of times it's not the right fit for you. And when we've seen guys that are four time high school Americans from from Catholic Central think that that's what they want, they go to Syracuse and they realize Syracuse is another level of commitment. And then they right. go be extremely good club player somewhere at like Michigan state. Yeah. So which is fine. Which it's is totally cool. fine. But like, if you don't ask yourself those questions, it's easy to be like Syracuse wants me I'm in. And I didn't even think about what every day is going to be like when I get there. Yeah. It's just the allure of, of D one sometimes gets people, but yeah, I agree with you. You need to ask yourself tough questions and you need to, you need to know what you're getting into. And yeah. Hey, you know what? Like I tell people, nothing's permanent. If it's not the right fit, you can always find right. a new fit. And I mean, it's cool walking into, you know, uh, some of the stuff that you get to walk into in the division one. But I think, you know, when, when Albion plays, um, when Albion plays hope, like that's a pretty freaking cool experience, yeah, right? Like those game. guys want to kill each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So and I they're mean, full of guys like, that were borderline fringe D one anyway. I mean, so. and you, you know, this from your time at Detroit, like when Detroit plays Marist, like that's, that's, you know, that's Michigan, oh, yeah. Ohio state <laughs> all yeah. over again. You know I mean? It's, it feels the same. If you've ever been on the sideline in Michigan, Ohio state, or you've uh, you know, you, or uh, Marist Detroit or uh, Albion uh, hope, like it's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And then you get Detroit, Ohio state every other year. That's a trap game for sure. Every time <laughs> yeah, You're just right. waiting for, yeah, I remember, Hey, you guys pulled it off that one year. So it, it is, or the time we played Notre Dame and no one thought we had a chance and then we did for at least a half. Yeah, three quarters. <laughs> Got tired. <laughs> it happens. I mean, you you eventually get out athleted when they put a middle linebacker at the faceoff dot. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, all right, Chris. Well, I really appreciate it. I hope this uh, season goes really well for you, and I hope things kind of get a little bit more back to normal. Keep it up, Nick. All right, thanks, Chris. Good luck on the kid. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. <Sleep> now. <laughs> Do us a favor, do yourselves a favor. Who doesn't like free stuff, right? It takes you two seconds. So let's get away from all the Instagram models that you're looking at for a second and do us all a favor and go follow the Going Offsides podcast.